Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. I hope everyone is doing well, and I hope everyone is staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show. And before we get into this episode, just a friendly reminder that every Monday I put out the Prep List Items newsletter. This goes out to people with uh, that are in my subscriber list. So go to lioncookthoughts.com, put in your email, and hit subscribe. And it's bits of information, uh, gadgets, tips, uh, anything I find interesting that I think you would find interesting, I put in this newsletter and send it out to you every Monday morning. So go check it out. Also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. I am looking just for an honest review. It helps me get better, helps me get more traction, and lets me know uh, what you think of the show. So please go check it out and um, leave a review. Uh, either in Spotify, it has it at the bottom of the page, or, or at the top of the page, and Apple has it at the bottom of the page. All right, before we get into this episode, I just want to say that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. There's a big reason why I'm doing this podcast. I had the opportunity to chat with Jasmine from Chow, and you go to their website, chowco.org. It's C-H-O-W-C-O.org. And what CHOW stands for is uh, Culinary Hospitality Outreach and Wellness. And I just was very honored and excited that they wanted to uh, do a podcast with me. I wanted to thank Aaron Boyle, the CEO of CHOW, for setting this up. And obviously Jasmine Parks Papadopoulos for coming on the show. In this, in, in, in this interview, we talk about mental health topics. So just letting you know that up front, we, I think, are both pretty open in some of the issues we face mental health with our own mental health and we also talk a lot about actionable next steps chow is a great resource for anyone in the food industry looking for those actionable next steps and you know taking care of your mental health is so so important so if you or someone you know or anyone really in the industry you know i prescribe podcasts based on certain interests but anyone in the industry should be taking care of their mental health and being more aware of it so go to chowco.org to learn more I'm going to read you an introduction that was written by Jasmine in her voice. So this is a first-person introduction from Jasmine. I'm going to read it now and share it with you all. I am Jasmine Vitolo Parks Papadopoulos, former toxic chef, currently certified life coach. For years, I struggled with high-functioning anxiety, and it wasn't until I delved deep into my behavioral patterns and life choices that I could see how my most harmful traits and habits were nestled into the profession I had chosen. A product of the great resignation, I came to Chow in 2020 for support in detaching myself from an industry that I had hidden my discomfort in for so long. I needed to find new ways forward and surround myself with people, like myself, who are struggling to establish their identity and support their mental health. Now as a part of the Chow team, I am passionate about building an interactive community that extends everyone the accepting and warm welcome I received when joining Chow. My goal is to increase visibility for our organization and spread the word about our message. Jasmine, thank you for sharing that. And again, thank you all for listening. I find this podcast so, so important. I hope you get a lot of value from this episode. Thank you all for listening to this podcast, and here we go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. If you want to start off by introducing yourself, that'd be great. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for having me and for being able to share our message and support us. The support that we receive 
festival. So I'm really grateful to be here. Um, my name is Jasmine and I am Chow's head of community and Chow stands for Culinary Hospitality Outreach and Wellness. All right, awesome. And where are you all located for the audience to know? Um, so we are Denver based, but that just means that the program started in Denver. Currently, all of our programming is easily accessible online. So we have folks joining our community okay. from anywhere in the world, really. Perfect. And can you just kind of go into detail a little bit about what exactly uh, your organization does for those in the food industry? Absolutely. Um, so Chow's main mission right now is to support the lives of food, beverage and hospitality workers through shared stories, skills and resources. Um, what that means to us is that we essentially listen to the needs of our community and try to meet those with vocationally specific resources. Um, currently, our programming includes peer-to-peer -peer support groups that happen online and in person um, in Spanish, dedicated spaces for men and women only, leadership meetings, um, as well as the development of a mental health course, which kind of um, addresses all of the issues uh, currently affecting workplace wellness. We have also developed a workplace wellness toolkit, which is a free downloadable PDF with very small actionable items that create measurable healthful changes in communities, but generally in um, hospitality spaces, as well as a self-led uh, eight ingredients of wellness workbook, which allows folks kind of a self-guided approach so that they can slowly start to improve on their quality of life. We also have a partnership with Kessid Wellness, which is an impactful part of our programming. And this allows for folks who are either in the hospitality industry, underinsured, um, 16 free therapy sessions um, that allows for them to receive mental health support. Awesome. So obviously, you know, really you know, grateful for the work you all do, really interested in having you on the show and being a partner um, in this work. And we have some stuff planned in the future. But when I was going on the website for prep for this podcast, uh, you have on your website a couple of different statistics I'd like to read off and then would love to kind of dig into them individually and then maybe as a whole, the reasons for that. So on your website, you have 63% 63 of workers in the food industry suffer, suffer from depression, 84% feel stressed from their job, 65% report using substances, substances at work, wow, I can't talk right now, and the... Uh, 53% feel pushed their limit at their job. So starting with, you know, depression um, and just feeling stressed at work, uh, what, is, what are some of the common, first off, I guess, how, how do you kind of hear about people coming forward saying they have depression? Because obviously this is something that, that not everyone is at a place of uh, comfortably talking about. So I would imagine maybe that number is a little bit higher. Uh, for people who don't share it. So how does that kind of take place? What are some of the points that people make when they say that they are feeling depressed? And, and obviously anything can happen in their life, but what specifically about work is making them in a depressed state? Of course, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that a lot of these numbers are self-reported, so we can probably anticipate that those uh, numbers are actually a lot higher than the statistics that you see on the website. Specifically in our industry, there is so much stigma around talking about mental health. So I think that these are particularly challenging conversations to have in the hospitality industry in a way that they might not be in other professional industries. I think the way that we see it and the things that are reported back to us is that there are vocationally specific challenges. Um, 
you know, Patrick Mulvaney of I Got Your Back asked the very impactful question, did these people come to the industry broken or did we break them when they got here? And uh, valid question, <laughs> valid question. I think that so far there's so many contributing factors specifically in the food beverage hospitality industry. So low visibility up until recently, right? And even when there was visibility, when the first throng of cooking shows and high profile um, cooks came out, these are typically you know, Anthony Bourdain, um, you know, uh, drunk and making pancakes for, for his uh, daughter the day after meeting up with Nigella, telling her about how he was on a bender the night before. Marco Pierre White yelling with a cigarette in his mouth behind the line. So I think there was very little visibility and the visibility that we did see tended to glamorize a sort of solo lone wolf that's struggling um, and maybe struggling with substance misuse. Uh, I think there's very high turnover, so there's not a lot of um, opportunities for investments to be made in workers' long-term future. That's one of the things that we are hopeful that we're creating change. I think this is an an industry that systemically disincentivizes self-care. In fact, the more you become the type of person that clocks in early and is the last to clock out and is completely burnt out and is not taking breaks and is not going on a water break and is not sitting down to eat a full meal twice a day during your shift, the farther along you get. So there's almost more incentive for a complete abnegation of self than there is for self-care. I think that uh, we are not tracked properly by HR departments, right? And the ecosystem of Mm -hmm. mom and pop restaurants, there's no HR department where you can go and have mediated healthful conversations. It's kind of like what happens to me happens to me. And I think that it's a fast paced physical environment that requires a lot of taxing work on people's bodies and minds in a way that uh, other industries typically don't. And to add to that statistic, Uh, one of the or two of the staggering numbers that we have built our programming around is that pre-pandemic in 2018, we rated number one uh, professional industry in substance misuse. Um, So that's, I mean, that's, that's a huge, that's a huge thing to know about ourselves, right? That folks struggle so much. And we have the after shift drink culture, Um, there's a lot of, uh, incentivizing community around alcohol happening in our industry that doesn't typically happen in other industries. Um, as well, Mm -hmm. one of the other numbers that we've based our programming on is that currently if every mental clinical, um, certified mental health professional filled their entire docket with food, beverage, hospitality workers, we would still outnumber mental health professionals. 29 times over because that's how much the food beverage hospitality industry is growing. And so Hmm. there's a rising demand and there's no way to meet that supply. Right. Yeah, definitely. I know like looking at the numbers from the national restaurant association, we're still 0.7% below staffing levels from where we were Hmm. pre pandemic. Uh, So it's like, there is still that staffing demand. There is still strain on people. You know, I say this a lot. I've been saying this a lot recently and I posted on Instagram and it's funny because I share this a couple of times and I get a lot of backlash. I've actually had other people post about it. And it's this idea that like when we call ourselves the misfits of like the, the working mm. world, when we see the industry as like the, this band of outlaws, like it, it can be cool, especially when you're young, especially when you're going into the industry. And sometimes it's held on to as a thing that's to be proud of because everything else is kind of like not going well. 
But as long as we continue, as long as food industry people, especially restaurant people, continue to see themselves as like the outlaws of the industry, then like there's not going to be that change that is needed on the other side. Like there's not going to be those structures that need to be put in place. And, you know, I've been doing this for like four and a half years now and kind of like really, you know, from going to the industry into a more corporate environment and then just working throughout this, it's like, no, you get to see where like in other businesses and even in restaurants, restaurant groups, places that are maybe a little bit more set up, you can have that kind of fairness, that ability to manage. But when you do um, run into restaurant groups or businesses that kind of just run in a more like wild west mentality, then you do see a lot of like the negative effects come to light. And you see it even now in like uh, so many different sectors and not just in restaurants, but in so many different ways. And it's like those who have adopted a more civil and more, um, I guess, better working environment for those people and have said, Hey, we're not going to allow certain things. It might be like not the cool thing to do at the time for them, but it's, it, it does have benefits and it does treat people with the dignity they, they all really deserve. You're, I think you're a thousand percent right. I, one of the things that I love is that food beverage hospitality workers are becoming more intentional about the language that they use. And I will tell you that that is a particular one that sticks out to me because as a person who never went to culinary school, but I was a chef for 14 years, mm. that was exactly why I was a chef because the, the uh, band of misfits, I have never felt camaraderie uh, the way that I have after particularly hectic dinner services you know, that like first beer that you have with your staff afterwards and that first smoke and you kind of feel like you overcame something massive together. That was incredibly mm -hmm. difficult for me to replicate when I came out of the industry. And I'm a person who has a bachelor's in marketing and I couldn't picture myself doing anything else. You know, here I am sitting on an, uh, on an education that would have afforded me a different career. And after 14 years, I came out and I was like, this is the person I am. I'm never going to be able to work in an office setting without swearing and without the Red Bulls. And how am I supposed to even integrate to working in the daytime after working nighttime? And it left me feeling incredibly isolated. This thing that once uh, helps me feel very seen, essentially that kind of language, the idea that I can only fit in here and these people understand me and that it's my family, it had bound me into a really familiar dysfunction that I had with my family of origin where it wasn't, it was almost impossible for me to picture how I was going to come out of it and have friendships or be productive in a different, you know, professional setting. So I completely agree with you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I, you talk about like, you know, being dedicated to work, being dedicated to, you know, maybe not eating, maybe like not sleeping as much, going in early, not being paid, like, and that being, like you, like that works in other industries sometimes too, but most, like most of the time, like most industries, people who are successful actually do have balance. And it's, it's really the food industry is specifically restaurants that has still been stuck in this idea mm. of like, like, of course, if you're at a job, if you push yourself and you work hard, you're going to get recognized. But it, there's a, just a different layer sometimes with restaurants where it's actually like physically like pushing yourself and actually not getting paid and really not like taking care of yourself and the, the demand and the effects are so much stronger. And for me, that was a big reason why I like fell out of love with fine dining and why I've actively, mm. you know, been vocal to the fact that what are we actually praising? Because so much of what that represents is people sacrificing a ton. And like the reality is, is that there's only, only so many chef positions and there's only so many opportunities out there. And yet the vast majority of people push to get higher status in the industry, get work at the coolest place. And that, that just, that culture, it, it flips on customers too, because 
you know, customers have a responsibility in this well, in this as well, being willing to pay more, being w- willing to treat people mm. with respect. But if we're if we're always telling them that we're these outlaws and these bandits, what what respect do we command from them as well? So it's just like a double edged sword that has been negatively affecting people in food. Uh, I I completely agree with you, and I think um, the hospitality model has kind of thrived on this idea of check yourself at the door because you are now curating someone else's experience. So you showed up mm-hmm. sick. You're on the verge of a divorce. You couldn't find a sitter for your kids. The minute you walk into the door and you clock in, you better be focused on someone else other than yourself and make sure that this experience that you are putting together as a memory maker, make sure that it is the thing, right? We are the people that curate the 10th anniversary, beautiful birthday celebration. And often we don't get to experience these things for ourselves because our schedules are built that way, right? During Christmas, that's a busy season. You might not get Christmas with your family, uh, but you are responsible for making someone else's um, experience so memorable. And I think that that kind of uh, consistent turning away from yourself and not checking in with yourself and being focused externally on other people and how they are moving through the world, I think it makes it particularly challenging for us to be in touch with ourselves, even to the degree where you can say, I'm thirsty, and I'm going to go get a glass of water, right? We're constantly pushing those needs back when we're on the floor, whether that's behind the line or in a restaurant or in a corporate hotel setting or stocking grocery shelves, whatever that may be, um, we're consistently denying those immediate needs. And I think integrating that into your day-to-day life where then you clock out and the, the restaurant spits you out in the middle of the street at midnight when maybe your partner's asleep and all of your friends are asleep because they work a nine to five. Now you're completely isolated. And so there's these these challenges to address, which is exactly why Chow believes in offering specific resources, because mental health support is going to look different for us, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I find it, one last thing I'll say on that is like, I find it interesting, you know, for myself, I, I, I've working in restaurants and working with people in restaurants and looking up to people and leaders in restaurants, you know, I've never met someone in the restaurant industry who's you know, been in a position that I wanted to be in that wasn't sacrificing mm. a ton. And that wasn't like missing out on life a ton and having regrets every day. And, I, you know, seeing their breaking, those breaking point moments because you spend so much time with them and seeing the unhappiness. And there is like a great amount of joy and pride in what they do, but it's also masked with other, you know, not not being there for their family, not being there for their friends. So there's always like this, pu- this push and this pull. And you know, life, you know, you make decisions, you make choices. And, you know, that some, someone could say, well, that's just a decision made. But we, I, I, I've always hated that we just accept it. Like so many people just accept the fact that the industry the way it is, is the way it is. And I feel like that's such a low, like stakes mentality to just accept. I feel like there's yeah. like everything involves cooking is involved, um, industries involved. And like so many people are so set in the way of how it's been. And I just don't think that that's a good answer. And I think that there's a lot of people out of the industry who have moved out of the industry because so many are unwilling to actually change. So many are stuck in their ways. And um, it's easier said than done. It's easier to say this now sitting in my, you know, sitting doing a podcast than it is for the person that's on their 80th hour this week, you know, who is missing a delivery from their supplier and is running late on their dinner that they're about to put out. Like it's easier said than done, but it starts from leadership and it starts also from what we demand from leadership. And so, yeah, I, I agree with that. I wanted to go into um, the site a little bit because there's a lot of resources going on um, with Chow that I was really impressed with. 
but some that came up were resources for gambling and eating disorders. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is something I haven't really touched on a ton. Um, I really don't have a lot of experience with gambling disorders or eating disorders myself or with talking to people in the industry. Can you shed some light on the uh, how, how this affects people? Is this a really big issue for a lot of people in the industry and kind of what you've seen? Absolutely. So I would encourage anybody listening to just kind of take a stroll through our resources because we pride ourselves on so many impactful community partnerships. There are so many other organizations like Chow where their programming varies just enough where finding out about all of them will cover so many different aspects of wellness. And so I encourage anybody listening to just take a stroll through the resources because all of them are low barrier to entry, easily accessible, and that's why we pick them. We want them to be vocationally specific and easy to access. Um, I will tell you that we like to cover a broad kind of... um, band of things just so that folks, you know, if they're feeling any kind of dysregulation or need any kind of support, they find what they're looking for. One of the things that we do explore, though, in our mental health course, which I highly recommend, is uh, in week two of our four-week course, we talk a little bit about mental health and how it shows up in the industry, you know, specifically depression, anxiety, complex PTSD. One of the things that we talk about is disordered eating. Uh, Not to be confused with an eating disorder, but disordered eating, which not only do we hear so much about in our spaces, but I can tell you has affected me. I am two years out of the industry and still cannot eat meals sitting down. Um, I'm now however many meals in, you know, probably close to a thousand and I will still eat uh, right next to my kitchen sink with my plate in my hand. I also... Uh, struggle compulsively to eat warm food. I much prefer to eat cold because this is what I've been doing since I was 18 years old. I've been eating cold Mm -hmm. meals over a trash can. Um, I have to remind myself to drink water. And, you know, one of the, one of the things that we talk about uh, in terms of disordered eating is basically the denying of physical cues that we recognize is a pretty, is a thing that we all kind of experience in the industry, right? The server Mm -hmm. who orders a grilled cheese sandwich at the beginning of the shift because it's super slow and then gets slammed and then they have to take it to go. And now you're eating it at one o'clock in the morning. And maybe, you know, not only is it frozen, that that, uh, cheese is unrecognizable. And maybe that's the first meal you've eaten today. Also, you know, on the line, it's uh, notoriously difficult to refill your water bottle, but you can line a couple of cans of Red Bull that'll get you through the shift. And Mm -hmm. one of the One of the things that I learned by taking our mental health course uh, before I started teaching the class was this exceptional um, example of our trainers brought up that the lighting in most restaurants, right, the difference between the neon lights in the back of the house and the front of the house. So the front of the house is typically um, with architectural support in most restaurants, right, kind of like low light dimmed. Um, which is supposed to increase your hunger cues in your body. This is the reason mm. why the lighting is different. And so a person, let's say a server who's going um, to pick up their dish from the back and walking it to the table that ordered this dish is experiencing a variety of cues that are completely incongruous with each other. So they go from the neon lighting, then they have the food close to their face, where all of a sudden it's activated their senses, they can smell the food, you know, maybe they start salivating, they're entering that dim lighting, their body is preparing to eat, and they don't eat. 
for hours. And that, that mm. happens over and over and over again. And so it is not unreasonable to believe that after working in that same place for months, that now that server is not experiencing accurate hunger cues that, you know, their system is getting crossed, their wires are getting crossed. And so maybe on their days off, they challenge themselves to eat by 7pm and can't make it happen because their body's used to eating at 1am. And so the idea that even though we work around food, primarily, we are so focused on the model of hospitality and denying these cues, um, that it becomes ingrained in us. Uh, I remember watching an episode of Grey's Anatomy with a friend of mine where one of the surgeons, in order to stand up for an 18-hour surgery, put a diaper on. And I Mm. said, wow, I can't believe that's, I can't believe I never considered that. Like, imagine (laughs) how many shifts I could get through if I never had to step off the line to pee. And she was like, you realize this person's saving a life and you're making a plate of pasta, right? And I was like, I couldn't see the difference. I couldn't see it. Yeah, no, that that is interesting. That is a really fascinating point about the front of house um, dynamic that, you know, how architecture is set up for people dining there and someone going in between those. Mm. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's definitely interesting. You know, for me, uh, I definitely had issues with eating when I was working in restaurants. I remember I I wouldn't eat, like I would eat at lunch and then I wouldn't eat till like I got home. And um, throughout restaurants, throughout culinary school and back to restaurants, I did experience a lot of issues with uh, my physical health, mo- more so being like mm. how I consume food, when I consume food, the quality of food I consume. And it really was difficult. Like, it truly took me a long time to get back to a place where I could actually, you know, make good choices, um, eat food that had higher nutrition content where I wouldn't mm. like I used to drink like three frappuccinos a day. Like that was not good for my body. That wasn't good for my nervous system. It wasn't good for anything. It was overshooting my body just trying to get through the day. And so, and getting that sugar fix and getting the things that made me feel good in the moment, but wasn't actually helping me get through my, um, it wasn't sustainable. Like I would crash, I would not feel well. And then I'd go home and I eat a bunch of food. Then I crash again and I'd be low energy, but I'd be like on this like anxiety induced cycle. And then, you know, about the effects of sleep and not getting enough sleep and everything else. So yeah, I mean, I definitely believe it. Um, and I've seen more, uh, coverage of it, but it's not something I personally have covered on the podcast. And so I thank you for um, kind of going through that with me. I, Absolutely. Uh, and no, go ahead. I was going to say one of the, uh, the things that we address is the eight ingredients of wellness, right? Physical, environmental, occupational, um, social, emotional, spiritual, uh, professional. I think I got them all. And mm-hmm. in recognizing that when you kind of isolate these eight ingredients of wellness, which is recognizing that they're all aspects of your life, right? They're all intersectional. And so when you're evaluating yourself, this is an exercise that we do. We take the eight ingredients of wellness. We ask everybody in a non-judgmental, neutral observer way to just kind of rate themselves on a scale of one to 10 with how they believe that area of their life is doing today. Um And if we take that example of the food and we translate that into an exercise like that, you're essentially evaluating how bumpy the ride of your life is by giving it these scores, right? So if I'm sitting pretty at a 10 out of 10 because my professional is just, my my professional quality of life is ace because I never step off the line to go to the bathroom. I don't refill my water bottle. I'm surviving on Red Bull which sustains me to the end of the shift so that I can drag myself home and crash when I get home and really kill it, right, for the duration of my shift. 
odds are that my physical is probably at a two out of 10 mm -hmm. because I'm my, I'm heightening my anxiety. I'm, I'm drinking these appetite suppressants that continue to contribute to me not eating a kind of well-rounded diet. And so we kind of just recognizing intentionally checking in with ourselves, which is not something that folks in the industry typically do. And understanding that when I'm giving this a 10 out of 10, this is intersectional. So there's got to be a two out of 10 somewhere. I'm taking that time and intention away from somewhere. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree. And for myself, it, it you know, it's just talking with a lot of people in the industry, just the, the physical demand. I mean, you know, myself working in mm -hmm. a job that I, I don't work 80 hours a week, I work much less. I work around a 40, 45 hour work week now. And even now it's challenging sometimes to fit in gym and a uh, healthy diet and everything else in between. Like, you and I've been there where I've been working 80, 90 hours a week. And it was like, I, I remember like, I, I remember I had one day off. I was working for a restaurant. I was managing a restaurant and um, I had this one day off and I went to the gym and I ran a mile. And this has been like a year and a half after I started with that restaurant and I was managing and I just ran one mile. And I was like, I'm not even like ever considering going. Like the last time I went to the gym was like maybe in college. Like I don't even go to, like I don't even do anything physical for my body. Like I haven't, and I remember saying like, I haven't been to the doctor in so long. Like, I don't even know where my physical health is at. I don't even know. Like it turns out my cholesterol was super high. And like, I, you know, I just, mm. I wasn't really doing great on some markers, but um, it was just like, it dawned on me. I was like, I don't even have time to like, know if I'm okay health wise. And I don't even have time to preserve myself health wise to ensure that I can continue to live a healthy life. So it, it is such a challenge and I empathize with people and, um, yeah. And so going back to our conversation earlier, you have all these things already that make this work hard and like having a toxic mm -hmm. work environment on top of that, it's just like, what do we expect from people and what do we expect people to react with? So, um, it is definitely interesting. I'm going to link to your site. People can take the mental health assessments. Um, but what are some actionable steps that people can take directly with Chow if they're listening to this and really want to, but, you know, just get a hold on their mental health or kind of see where they're at. Absolutely. So I love that you mentioned the mental health assessment. Those are through Mental Health America and they're right on our homepage. So we always encourage folks just to kind of like the eight ingredients of wellness and kind of like you said, just to see where you're at, right? Hmm. Um, I think this is step one is these intentional check-ins. You know, I love the fact that every child discusses peer-to-peer support groups, they start, we put up this graphic that has um, a thermometer on there and we check in with each other on a scale of rare to well done, rare meaning juicy, full of life, well done being, you know, I've been on the grill far too long, take me off, I'm done. <laughs> so we use this language that we can all kind of understand, right? No matter where we are in the industry and everything starts with a check-in, give yourself a temperature. It's not a judgmental exercise. It is not um, we don't need to change anything. We don't need to do anything. We just need to get into the habit of intentionally stopping for a moment and be like, how am I doing today? Did I drink my water? Is this headache because I didn't drink water? Have I eaten a snack? What am I doing? So these intentional check-ins. And typically when you start coming to groups, I mean, I've been going, to be honest with you, I'm in traditional therapy twice a week and I have been since I left the industry. And I still go to child support groups every single week. And sometimes it's staggering. Uh, when I walk in and I have to do the temperature take and I have no idea where I am on that scale because I'm like, I was just walking through, even as a person who has skills and tools and resources at her disposal, I've just somehow made it to 2 p.m. and I have no idea how I'm feeling today. Did I drink any water? I have no clue. I'm just free floating through the world. So 
I can't recommend it enough. Um, in terms of actionable steps and a call to action, I know that it can seem incredibly daunting <clears throat> because the industry is a big thing, right? It's a big machine and we all kind of feel powerless. So we're like, I will just clock in another day and then see how it goes tomorrow. Start having conversations, check in with yourself, check in on people, primarily check in with yourself because we cannot check in on other people if we're not checking in with ourselves. Um, and then start having these conversations around mental health. Do not be afraid to ask if somebody is struggling. Do not be afraid to ask if somebody has experienced the same thing that you have. And I genuinely believe that destigmatizing these systems that have been placed have been in place for so long starts with conversations. And so we say, you know, you want three things that you can do, check in with yourself, start having the difficult conversations, come to a child group and bring a friend, check it out. Awesome. Yeah, no, definitely. And like I said, the links to all this will be in the description of this episode. And we are going to be doing more work in the future. So very excited for that. I'd love to ask you personally, you know, doing and doing this work yeah. and kind of how you've, um, you know, supported people in the industry. What does success look like for you in your role with Chow? What do you, when do you find, you know, for someone on the line, getting through a busy service, crushing it, wow. having a good night is good. What does success look like for you? This is my favorite question that I've ever been asked. <laughs> Thank you. I've never been asked this before. Interesting. Good. Wow. I love this. <laughs> yeah. This. My gosh. Um, okay. Well, you know, I should mention... So like I said, I've been out of the industry for two years. I actually came to Chow as an attendee um, mm. after I stopped working in the industry and drank a lot for a few months because I had no idea what to do with myself. When I floated to the top of a bottle, I was like, I need to just see what other people are doing post-industry, right? I'm a product of the, of the Great Resignation. I worked halfway through the pandemic. I just felt the need to connect somewhere. And Chow is, a, I am the Chow poster child success story um, <laughs> because I found exactly what I was looking for. I found a whole bunch of people who knew exactly what I was talking about when I explained that even though I have two children and they were calling me mom all the time, that that filled me with an immense sense of grief because I thought nobody was ever going to call me chef again. Mm. Um, and so I found exactly that. Uh, but to be honest with you, I'm still me living in my body, moving through the world. So a lot of times at Chow, and I work for a mental health nonprofit, okay? <laughs> Chow is a mental health nonprofit. So um, my boss, Chow CEO, Erin Boyle, is incredible. She encourages us to take our mental health days to hold space for each other. Um, she often has to lead by example by taking a day off so that I will follow her because sometimes... If I put something on my daily to-do list, which mentally to me is my prep list, my day is not done until the prep list is done. And that's an old mentality that that I carry with me in this job and that I have to try to recover from every single day when I clock into this job. So success to me looks like recognizing my limits, which is something that I was never able to do in the industry, allowing myself rest. And then in terms of professional success, I will tell you, a few months ago, we decided to go live on TikTok. We are live on all social media platforms, and we want folks who don't feel like they can come to a meeting yet, like they're not ready. Mm -hmm. We want them to have easily accessible just little tidbits that they can find. So we are live and active on all social media platforms. So we decided to go on TikTok, and I make this video 
about all of the chefs that I had been inspired by. Uh, I run the platform. So I'm making this video of all of the chefs that I have been inspired by who have died. And because that was it for me, right? I am of the Marco Pierre White and Anthony Bourdain generation. Anthony Bourdain was like a big one and also instrumental to our nonprofit for me. And so I make this video, um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, not one more. That's what mm. I'm doing with Chow. I'm, I want to make sure that not one more. Um, and so I make this video and I put my phone down and I go make myself a cup of coffee. And this has never happened to me before. My phone just kept dinging and dinging <laughs> and dinging and dinging. And we went viral with this video. It was seen, I think, by almost a million people. Nice. And I thank you. I sat there until 5 a.m., so almost 12 hours, replying to every single comment because every single person who saw that video, and it must have been probably a thousand comments or over, was like, Can I get a herd for our chef, you know, Bob, whoever, who we lost to suicide in 2004? Can I get a herd for my husband who I lost there? Mm. Uh, can I get a herd from myself because I don't know how I'm going to clock in for tomorrow? And I'm telling you this and I have goosebumps because in some small way, I know that, you know, social media is an incredibly polarizing, literally tears in my eyes, <laughs> an incredibly polarizing thing for so many people. But to me, Chow had just created a space where people can say, dude, me too. Mm -hmm. And when I was in the industry, I didn't feel like I could say, dude, me too. In any space, I didn't feel like somebody understood what I was going through. So the fact that all of these strangers were just scrolling on TikTok and taking a vulnerable second to be like, let me tell you about the person I lost. Let me tell you about how I'm losing pieces of myself every day. Let me tell you about how I need more help and support than this. It was like, I don't know. I, I just, I had never seen so many people in one space so bravely and authentically talking about how challenging the industry is. And so I sat there for over 12 hours replying to every single comment, just crying uncontrollably. And that was my biggest success creating. I think this is Chow's biggest success, creating these spaces where people can show up and genuinely talk about what they're feeling and the place that hurts that you can't see. I love it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that. thank you for sharing that and for, you know, going through that with us. I think for me, the biggest, the most impactful, the most impactful thing I can do in my thoughts, the thing, the posts that resonate a lot on Instagram or is one I did recently where I was just like, where are you from? What are you working on? And why are you enjoying it? And you just get surprised at like what people are proud of and where they're at and like, what means a lot to them. And some will be like, you know, working on my 80th hour a week, but you know, I'm working on this. And like, it's just all the little things that I would never ever assume someone would be proud of because I just, I don't live their lives that, you know, you never know what truly like someone could be working on at work. And I say this a lot to operators. Sometimes it's like, you never know, like if a cook of yours who did something and you say, like, you don't realize the impact your words might have when you say, Oh, you did a good job. That might make their entire day. They might think about that when they go home. And then the flip side, it's like, Oh, it's shit that could ruin their entire week. And so like just being aware that like so many, like there's people mm. behind like the work and so many have different ways of experiencing this work and experiencing what they do. I think is super impactful. I think that shows with the, that not only the success of that TikTok, but how, you know, Chow has been growing. I mean, it's impressive. You look at the partners, you look at the sponsors, like I feel, I, you know, it seems that you guys are growing really well. And so 
I, you know, I'm very excited for the future for you and the organization. Thank you. Me as well. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to do a shameless humble brag plug here (laughs) and tell you that one of the things that I genuinely love, uh, which I experienced, I'm talking about it because I experienced it of my own accord Mm. is that I know a lot of people uh, ask us, you know, so what is it? Is it just a bunch of cooks sitting in a, in a church basement, just talking (laughs) shit till they feel better. It's not, we share successes and struggles. And I can tell you that when I started going to consistent meetings in that interim period where I was trying to figure out what I was going to do next, I had these strangers from anywhere in the United States rejoicing in my successes. Like there were people that were like, hey, you know, you went on a job interview last week. Fill us in. How did that go? Yeah. These are people that I've never met in person who are just so invested in my success. So they're not just there to listen to me talk about how, you know, my anxiety kept me home for months and kept me from applying for jobs because I had no idea what I was going to do next. These are people that are keeping score of my of my life successes and they're celebrating it along with me, which to be honest is not something that we often experience in the industry, right? Yeah. A lot of times we'll get a promotion. We're not going to tell, you know, the line cook who didn't. We're going to hold that stuff in until the end of the shift and we're going to go share it at home with our partner. So I think that it's like a model of growth and support that we deserve, but we haven't become accustomed to yet. Definitely. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And that last part, community, you know, getting yourself out there, meeting new people, mm. even if it's online, it's, it's so important. I think I've realized that during the pandemic, um, I've definitely had my bouts of loneliness. I've moved a couple of times and just understanding that community and finding people and it doesn't even need to be friends. It needs, it could be someone you meet for a week or that you're talking to in a moment, but at least you're communicating and having that experience with them. I think that's important. So thank you so much for coming on today. If you could just share kind of the socials and where people can reach you, I'll share links and stuff, but if you want to say it on the podcast, that'd be great too. Absolutely. So you can find us on all social media platforms. Uh, Typically, we are chow underscore org. Uh, On TikTok, we are chow underscore 303. And on Facebook, we have both a Facebook official Facebook page and a Facebook group where people can just kind of get together, share job opportunities, memes, uh, life advice, whatever they like. Um, so just look for our logo in the profile picture and that's how you know it's us. And we would love to warmly, warmly invite folks to come and check it out. And as a bonus, uh, on our blog on the website that we post every Monday and Friday, every Monday and Friday, we talk about community initiatives, trainings, education opportunities that are either completely free or low barrier to entry. Um, so we've got like so many things coming up and a lot of our partners have things coming up that we share on that blog so that you don't have to Google what's a free way to get this training or what should I be doing this weekend? We just put that stuff all together and you can kind of just scroll through it. Like it's a newspaper article and they're all free or easy to access things. Awesome. Jasmine, thank you so much for sharing all that. And thanks for your work and coming on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Awesome. A huge thank you to Jasmine for coming on the show and being so transparent. A huge thank you to Chow for the work they do. Again, go to the website in the description of this episode to see more of their work and use their mental health resources. And thank you all for listening. Mental health is so important. May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And as always, mental health is just something we need to be more on top of. 
I myself struggle with a lot of anxiety and not taking care of it is always a recipe for not uh, doing well. So from firsthand experience, from talking to people in the industry and just from general knowledge, make sure you're taking care of your mental health, make sure you're prioritizing it. I know it's easier said than done, but it truly, truly, truly does have such a large impact, positive or negative, depending on how you manage it. So thank you all for listening to this episode. Please use the resources mentioned in this podcast, and I will see you on the next Lankle Thoughts podcast. Thoughts podcast.